it's always nice to put personal illustration into a sermon. And, and in the context of this passage, and as it, as it unfolds, I think you'll, realize, you'll see how. I was, I, I've not got many personal illustrations of struggling with some of the cost. So I think life's been too easy for me, maybe. It's been in the, in, you know, in, in this Western world, maybe life is just insulates us, us from so much of the stuff that could come our way. But we're going to look at three different stories consecutively in, in Mark chapter 6, um, where we, re- we really do need to learn about facing the cost as Christians. So I hope this isn't too miserable for you, but it is the Word of God challenging us and, and taking us forward. So <laughs> um, there won't be any flippant comments about football or football results because this is serious. So <laughs> so let's move, let's move on to the, 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 the title, which, uh, which I could have given various um, uh, iterations of. We're going to move on to the next slide, unless the slides are stuck. They're stuck again. That's why we're going to upgrade this room with some of that special offering to get some good quality tech that's been serving us faithfully for many years. Who's that, Johnny? Go and see Johnny. That's my grandson. And Finn as well, was it? Oh, mate, the pair of them. I don't want to embarrass him, but that's the dad. (laughs) It's costly to follow Jesus. And I'm going to read um, Mark chapter 6, 1 to 29 in three different sections. Um, Mark's a great book. I always encourage people who are new to the Bible to start in Mark's gospel. You know, on one level, it's a very straightforward account of the ministry of Jesus. There's just 16 short chapters. There's lots of fast-moving stories, and there's plenty of action. Somebody once said it reads a bit like a film script. You get moving from one thing to another. It's very exciting. And there's also many challenges for us as God's people in Mark's gospel. But, but also, as we do dig a little bit deeper, beyond, just beyond the narrative, we see there's so much that speaks to us today about discipleship, about being followers of Jesus, and particularly about the cost of being a follower, of being a disciple. You know, a disciple, I looked up the word disciple in, in my, my dictionary. It says, it's a person who is a pupil or an adherent of the doctrines of another, a follower. And most of us in this room are followers of Jesus, aren't we? Disciples of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be digging into in just a second. You know, faith, we're people of faith, aren't we? Faith is risky by its very nature. You know, total commitment to Jesus in faith can be very costly indeed. And, and as you read through Mark, and I hope you're reading through the, the book of Mark and using the study guide that we've put together as a church. Many of you have contributed to that just to help you read through that and look at that as connect groups as well. You'll see in Mark that it's often the anonymous characters, the, 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 it's the faith of the anonymous characters that stands out. I mean, obviously, we, we, we get to meet and know some of the disciples in there, but people like the woman who touched Jesus' cloak. Right, great faith to push through the crowd to get that. The, you know, the, de- the deaf man, deaf man, and a blind man, and 
different people just come to Jesus demonstrating great faith and taking risk. And it's them, the ordinary people who so often express extraordinary faith in Jesus. And I want to emulate them, don't you? You know, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, as we read in Hebrews. And Mark shows us that following Jesus involves faith, even when fear is the more natural response. Scary sometimes. Let those ordinary people set an example to us. And not only the ordinary people, but Jesus himself. So let's look at the first section. I've, I've, I've called this despised and rejected. I don't know if it, there it is. Despised and rejected. Um, here in this section of, of Mark, we see some of the more difficult aspects of being a follower of Jesus. You know, Jesus in this narrative is continuing his ministry. He's healed loads of people. You know, le- lepers have been healed. The paralyzed have been healed. He's taught with authority that's amazed people. He's spoken to the weather. He's calmed the storm. He's cast out demons. He's even raised the dead. And here, he goes home. His hometown of Nazareth. And I'm going to read the first six verses of Mark chapter 6. Reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, well, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, A prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. (laughs) Yeah, I know, except. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now the neighbours and extended family who would have they would have known the, the, that returning Jesus for years, wouldn't they? They would have grown up with him in that small community. And now, after he's been doing all those wonderful things, he's come home. Right? And they can respond to his power and his wisdom. And the wonder of his ministry. And they do respond, don't they? But not with faith. With contempt. Have you ever experienced that? You know, you go with all the glory God has graciously poured out for you. All the knowledge and understanding and wisdom and faith. And you speak to people and maybe you even offer to pray for them. And what do you get back? Shut up. What are you talking about? It comes, doesn't it? Right? Even in your own family, or maybe especially in your own family, or your community, or your place of work, or your estate. See, they thought they already knew Jesus. They thought they knew who he was. I just want you to imagine um, 
we're going to translate that exp- that experience to this place here. I want you to imagine you're over here in a conversation on that bench just outside Iceland, down the blue. Right, you're already there, aren't you? Right, and, and you've just walked past. And you hear Jesus. He's the carpenter's son, and he lives on the Kirby estate. Right, so oh, I know him. He went to school with my Archie. Right. I know his sisters, says another. And then someone says, no, he's Mary's son. And that's said with a sort of a knowing nod, yeah, Mary's son. Intentionally, subtly, or maybe not so subtle. And what that is, is expressing contempt for someone they saw as Mary's illegitimate son. Because there's no mention of Joseph Mary's son, you know. In those days, they would always have talked about the father's line, the father's genealogy. And to to say Mary's son was intentional and deliberately contemptuous. They hear the teaching and they see the miracles and they still reject him. And this must have been a low point for Jesus who experienced emotion as much as we did. You know, and he said it, a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives in his own family. They took offence at Jesus. They refused to listen to his message. They rejected him. The Jesus we love. The Jesus we read about and wow about. And they just dismissed him. They scoffed him. They found him deeply offensive. They refused to believe in him. What must that have been like? Well, maybe you have experienced something of that. Have people scoffed you? Have they found what you stand for offensive? Do people question your integrity, even your honesty? I asked these questions of myself preparing this, and I think, yeah, they have, but not that much. And I think, maybe I'm not standing up for him enough. Because life generally is pretty easy. If I put my head above the parapet a bit more, if I got out of the trench and advanced towards the enemy, if I can use that analogy a little bit more, maybe I would experience more of this. I'm not inviting it. Somebody in my early days as a Christian prayed for me, they were also very young Christians, that I would experience a bit of persecution because it seemed to be what happens to Christians. I don't want persecution or opposition. I want it easy. However, it seems to be a bit of a hallmark of those people who do stand up and speak up for Jesus. And am I prepared for that? I'm not really. This is a challenge to me. I hope it's a challenge to you. Are you prepared to stand up, to get your head in the firing line, so to speak? Right? It's a challenge, isn't it? How do we respond to that experience if we have experienced it? That's also a challenge. (laughs) To show grace and forgiveness. But listen, if you have been rejected, if you have faced and even a bit of this, don't 
let it silence you. We need wisdom, of course we need wisdom, but we also need boldness. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness when you go to your place of work. Pray, pray for boldness when you go around your nans or when you're with your extended family. Because that's where, it's often when it is, it's hardest, isn't it? We're called to share in Jesus' ministry. Hallelujah! He's equipped us and anointed us and give us ministry gifts to move us on into maturity so we can take the gospel. We can share in the glory, but actually we also are called to share in the rejection. I don't like that bit. <laughs> Who likes to be rejected? No, I don't. Right? But we must be prepared. And we mustn't be surprised. You know, it was prophesied of Jesus. What I entitled this section, he was despised and rejected. We read those words in Isaiah, don't we? Despised and rejected. But here, his ministry continued. Nothing stopped him. Nothing knocked him down. And if it did knock him down, he got up again. And that's what we need to emulate. So don't be surprised if you're despised and rejected. In fact, glory in the fact you're identifying with him. It's exciting, but scary at the same time. So despised and rejected. The next section I just w- want to look at is, I've called safe or sent. You know, do you want to stay safe or do you want to be Sent. Let me, let me read the next section from verse 6, or the second half of verse 6 to verse 13 from Mark chapter 6. It says, Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his twelve disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, No food, no traveller's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, that was good of him, but not to take a change of clothes. (laughs) Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with oil. See, in this passage, again, we see a bit of a warning that we'll face rejection. There's also some exciting stuff in here as well. But that warning, first of all, at verse 11, where... Jesus says, look, he's basically saying people are going to refuse you. Well, certainly be prepared for being refused. Shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show you have abandoned those people to their fate. This was a visual act. Your choice. We're going to, we're going, it's, it's like you're saying to them, you choose. We're, we're going to go to, if you don't want it, that's Okay. We're going to go to people who do. We can read that in different parts of Scripture a very similar thing. It seems to be quite a biblical thing to sort of symbolically shake dust from you as you are rejected. In 
Paul, Paul in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. I read from verse 5, and in verse 6 he says, After Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, there it is again, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is now upon your own heads. I am innocent, for now I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Not only from his sandals, from his clothes. It's like there's a symbolic, well, man, if you've rejected it, it's down to you. Now, I think we have to be very careful with this because this can be an excuse not to speak to people. You know, we've got to be very discerning. We've got to have the mind of Christ in this and we've got to seek him because some people, you need to go back to them over and over again before they do respond, don't they? But there's there's a principle here. And the emphasis, really, I just want to draw out is be prepared to be rejected again. Even in the midst of seeing all the glory, which they did see, right? The sick were healed. The demons fled. The gospel was on their lips, wasn't it? Yet even in the midst of that, there's the possibility of rejection and opposition. What, what challenged me as I was preparing this this week, Paul, you've got to toughen up a bit. Because I love the glory stuff, you know. Come and tell another little testimony. Oh, guess who I spoke to last night? I guess, you know, oh, hallelujah. I prayed for someone and the demons were fleeing. Or all the, but I don't like the rejection and the opposition and the danger. And again, in this country, we are comparatively safe, aren't we? It's comparatively easy. There's Christians around the world who have it far, far tougher than us, who are facing death almost on a daily basis, literally. I think, man, too soft. I think I am. It's a challenge as you read through these words. You know, last week we heard John G speaking about Jesus calling his disciples to himself. Here, He's sending those same disciples back out into the world. Do you think, do you think they thought, oh, I'm ready now. I've spent enough time with Jesus. I'm equipped. I'm fully ready for this. I've been discipled to maturity. I'm off now. Thanks, Jesus. I can't believe it. I, I reckon they thought, no, l- let me stay a little bit longer. I just want to quiz you a bit more. I want to learn from you, Jesus, a bit more. I'm going to sit at your feet and feast on your knowledge and wisdom. And he's, got, he's called him in and he's gone, right, out you go. We're never going to feel ready, are we? Do you know that feeling? You think, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you think, oh, don't, I'm not quite ready. A little bit more in your presence, Jesus. But it's a risky faith that we're talking about, Right? You know, he gathers the 12 together and then bang, they're off out to extend his ministry, his ministry of healing and preaching and, you know, the good news and casting out demons and the message of repentance and faith and all of that stuff. And that ministry trip that he sent them on wasn't a comfortable 21st century Western ministry trip where some very nice hotels are booked before you go and the flights are sorted out and all the rest of it. There's an urgency implied, actually, in this passage. 
You know, one, one commentator said this, he said, preaching the kingdom left no time for fuss about personal well-being. It's like, we're going now, right? Now we haven't got any food, it doesn't matter, go without food, right? You ain't got your bag of your extra clothes and, you know, your toiletries. No, it doesn't matter, you're going now. No money, that's all right. Trust God, Right? He's entrusted you with the message. He's entrusted you with the gifts. Trust him for provision too. Right? They had to rely on the provision of God through the hospitality of other people. They didn't take food or money, but they did go with authority. We have the authority, don't we? Generally, you know, Jesus talks more generally in Matthew 28, very well-known words, but it's worth reminding ourselves. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are to go. We are to go. Put the power of God to the test. I can say that. Let's put the power of God to the test. Will he provide food and shelter? Listen, very, it's not often we are in such extreme situations where we need those basics of life because we're living in a very comfortable Western context. But maybe you've been in a situation where you have been so skint and you think, I don't know what to do. And when you cry out to him, he answers. He answers, doesn't he? Whatever our he, he, he will meet those needs. Not our wants, as, as many people say, but he'll meet our needs. Our practical needs in, in this case. They are to go in his power. Will he provide the food? Will he provide the shelter for them? Will he heal the sick? Will he drive out the demons through them? Will the gospel on their lips have an impact? Well, I think the answer to all those questions is a resounding yes. It's a risky faith, isn't it? When we think, even if you think about it and apply it to your life right now, you think, could I do that? It's a risk. That's why you think like that. It's risky, but that's what faith is. It's been certain of what we don't see. So what about you? Are you safe? Do you want to be safe? Or do you want to be sent? Will you take risks for the gospel? You know, it's so easy to be busy in the safety of the church and listen I love the church and I love the family of God's people I love the body ministry together you know looking after one another equipping one another bearing with one another strengthening one another giving to one another trying to bring people in amongst us it's great isn't it but this passage is about being sent out much scarier that's where we prove the power of the gospel it's out there in that cold, dark world where the unbelievers dwell. <laughs> you know, there'll be dragons there. <laughs> I'm not just talking about Bethnal Green either. It's a scary thought, isn't it, to be on a mission with God's commission and his authority. But that's what we're called to do. And these 12, when they first went out, it's beginning to extend the ministry, which extends all the way down to us as more and more people were added 
to, to God's number. It must have been scary. It must have been painful. It must have been challenging. But it's our lot. There's still joy in it. To go in his name and with him. Because he promises to never leave us. Or forsake us, doesn't he? When you go to the school gate tomorrow. And there's that really scary woman there again. Jesus is by your side. When you go to work. And you know that boss who is actually useless. Why are they useless? Why am I in that position? Listen. God is with you as well. To show love and compassion and grace and mercy and power. (laughs) I obviously, I obviously wasn't because we all know Chris, who is one of the best bosses one could possibly wish to work for. (laughs) Oh, amen to that. But it's scary out there. And when you go to talk to them about Jesus, oh no, because I know their views. I know what they think. I know what they believe. You know, it's, it's scary, isn't it? And you're risking opposition. But we've got to do it. We've got to be those disciples of Jesus. You know, in this growing post-Christian, dare I say, anti-Christian culture around us. The opposition to Christian values on many levels could tempt us just to stay safe, get down a bit deeper and hide, to avoid the frets and to avoid the issues. Now listen, I'm not saying go out there and wind people up. I'm saying we, we go out and love people and we show his compassion and his mercy and his grace. But the truth sometimes hurts. And we're people of the truth, aren't we? So that truth should be wrapped up in grace and wisdom, but it should still be there. Because silence is often taken as assent. He ain't said nothing, he agrees with me. And I know it's scary, and I know it's difficult, and I know we fail, but let's pray for boldness constantly. Here's a challenge. Does your life prove the power of the gospel or the safety of the church? Does your life prove the power of the gospel or the safety of the church? It's a challenge. Listen, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me here. It's constant, isn't it? Safe or sent. The next section. Success or obedience, I called it. I'm going to read from Mark 14 to verse 29. Mark 6, verse 14 to 29. Where we see the ultimate cost of discipleship in the story of John the Baptist. Verse 14 of Mark 6. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, well, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do such miracles. Others said, he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. 
For Herod, and then it goes into the narrative, for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favour to Herodias. She'd been given, she, she had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. So it's Herod's the man, Herodias is the wife. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. You, you probably find that with people. You think, they, 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 it winds them up, but they come back for more. Verse 21, Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. And he, then he shows off a bit. He goes to her, ask me for anything you like. The king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I'll give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. But I mean, she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? And her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he'd said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, bought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. Following on from the success of the disciples' ministry, this passage, even though that success of those 12 was still wound up with some rejection, this passage is a reminder that opposition to the gospel hasn't gone away. The passage itself said he was a good and holy man, yet he was killed. How does that work? Has God stopped blessing him? Are we not? Surely, if we're blessed, we're going to be protected, aren't we? It seems not. Actually, the scripture says to live is for Christ and to die is gain. We, we need to develop an eternal perspective, don't we? Not live for the now, but live for eternity. As disciples of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised if we are rejected, disliked despised or worse you know here we see the true cost and sacrifice of being a disciple of Jesus it's hard for us to comprehend isn't it a good and holy man but he's in prison and he think and, he, and he's but he's still preaching the gospel like others in scripture have preached the gospel when they're in prison and wrote great those letters from a prison cell but they kill him. They take his life in a really barbaric way. That's the true cost and sacrifice of being a disciple. 
But we thankfully know the end of that Bible story, don't we? We know that this, this discipleship, this discipleship we've read about and our discipleship follows the same path Jesus walked himself. A path that took him to Jerusalem, a path that took him to the Garden of Gethsemane, a path that took him to arrest and torture and mockery, a path that took him to the hill at Calvary and nailed him to a cross. The pure and perfect Jesus who didn't deserve anything, sacrificed, his blood shed, battered, despised and rejected in our place. But we know that was the plan. We're in a good place, aren't we? We know the end of the story. How did they feel? John the Baptist's head's been cut off. Oh, no, he's one of us. Jesus knew. He knew the end. He knows the beginning and the end of all things. You know, we, we should be encouraged by these stories in a weird way. We're certainly encouraged to live lives of living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, aren't we? That's what we read in the book of Romans. And for some, it is actual sacrifice. I've spent a long time talking about pain and hardship and death. The pain, hardship and death of discipleship. That's a snappy title, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good book title. Because um, it's all right here, generally. It's not too bad for us in London with all the trappings of Western culture. But throughout the world, countless Christians face daily persecution and death for their faith in Christ. We shouldn't insulate ourselves. We, you know, we use the phrase quite freely, oh, they're brothers and sisters. They really are brothers and sisters in Christ. From parts of Africa to the Middle East to, to the Asian subcontinent, Christians know firsthand the cost of true discipleship. It's in stark relief when you are literally facing death. But let me say this as I finish. Who knows where things will go in these polarised and politically volatile times. We don't know where things are going to go in this nation. Have we taken the peace and freedoms we have for granted? Probably yes. Will it be us next? Who knows? But I want to be a disciple of Jesus. In, in all that that means. If it means being despised and rejected if it means being sent out into what looks like a war zone if it means well if it means obedience over success is what I titled that third point didn't I because we measure success very differently to scripture you know success oh there's more people being saved success there's more people being healed success there's more people giving money hallelujah to all those things right but success is doing what Jesus says. It's being obedient. Yep, I'm going to go. It's not about the results. It's about the obedience. 
let's obediently serve God's purposes in the world wherever that leads us whatever the cost amen amen let me pray for us because the implications of this are huge aren't they I pray that your word would shape our lives Lord that we do focus on the good stuff and and there's, there's nothing wrong with that I love the good stuff but Lord let us be aware of the reality the reality of opposition the reality of the battle and as we're aware of the fight Lord let us also be very aware the victory is ours in Christ Jesus it's not a 50-50 us or them maybe might be we are victorious in Christ and I pray we'd live in the good of that but we'd live with boldness anoint us remind us who we are again and again and again remind us what you've done in our lives remind us of the calling on us generally and specifically that we would advance your kingdom wherever we go that we would see the sick healed we would see the unclean spirits flee we would see the gospel change lives wherever and whatever you've called us to And I pray all that in your wonderful name. Amen.